The Lord be with you. John's gospel makes mention of the celebration of the Passover three times. Which makes sense because this grand event was a highlight on the calendar for the whole year of worship for the Jewish people. And the Passover during Second Temple Judaism was a really, really big deal. It was a massive citywide celebration with decorations and rituals and parades and speeches and grand gatherings. Passover was a time of holy wonder and hope that affected the whole city. The thick air hanging electric with religious devotion and folk songs and hymns and even some political ambitions and dreams of change. The Passover story is the story that frames and marks so much of the Gospels. Because Passover was the story about the time when God heard the cries of a desperate people. And that same God acted with miracles and power. Every year the people did a reenactment of the day when God judged the oppressors and raised up leaders and set his people free. His people, God's people, and boy, they remembered it. These people were retelling a great story from their past, but these same folks were citizens with real grievances to share as well. Living the realities of their own strange part in history. At Passover, the question hanging in the background was, what sort of miracle might this God of Israel be doing right now? Is this going to be the beginning of a new age, a new thing? Are we witnessing another great moment in history? Is this the day when God will raise up leaders and do miracles and rescue his people once again? During these festivities, the population of Jerusalem would more than triple in size as visitors from all over the world packed the streets to join in the celebrations. Pilgrims and seekers mingling with locals, worshipping alongside other devout travelers. Maybe some of these visitors to the holy city were just tourists eager to see the spectacle of Jerusalem. Herod's massive temple adorned for the events and the city alive with celebrations. But let's not forget that Passover pilgrims were seekers Worshippers, people who were eager for God's intervention in the world. Between last week's story about Jesus cleansing the temple and this Sunday's Nicodemus nighttime visit with Jesus, you'll find a couple of strange verses describing those people gathered in the streets during Passover. When he was in Jerusalem, during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. 
But Jesus on his part would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Since our reading last week, when I read it right over there at the lectern, these odd verses have stuck with me. And I'm thinking maybe we can stand with the crowds outside in the Jerusalem streets for just a little while longer. Maybe we can notice for a moment John's gospel here telling us about Jesus' deep understanding of everyone. Essential knowledge about the nature of the human person. He knew what was in everyone. Many believed in his name, the text tells us. Many believed in his name, which seems like the whole point, right? But then Jesus takes a long, hard look at those new followers, those fresh-faced believers, such expectant souls gathered in hope and celebration. And he said, I'm not going with them. I know what those people are all about. I know humanity in all its grim and gritty detail. Excited crowds and congregations especially. They're fickle and they're confused and they're so reliably selfish and so unreliable in all the other ways Chasing trends and vanities and markets, following the herds, marking for themselves factions and cliques and angry mobs. Hiding their hearts so often in darkness. In these verses, no. Jesus would not entrust himself to this crowd of new believers, which feels like such a harsh slap in the face. These new followers, so crestfallen. And sure, as human beings go, fair enough, Jesus. Fair enough. We get it. It isn't pretty. We are problematic as a human race. We're a special kind of complicated mess. But it seems fair to ask, what is all of this about then? What are you doing here, even? Why go to all of this trouble? Lucky for us, just a few verses later, these questions would be carried by a trusted member of the community. One special character who managed to schedule a private audience, a nighttime booking even. And this was not just any ordinary person. Jesus took a private session for theological instruction and analysis with a distinguished gentleman named Nicodemus, a leader of his people, a man of means, no doubt, connected, cultured, Educated, wise, articulate, respected, a person entrusted with the spiritual care of his community. 
In his time with Jesus, we're told that Nicodemus got right to the point. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. He gets the hard question out, the question that's on everyone's mind, and from that point on, Nicodemus is absolutely out of his depth. This wasn't the systematic exchange of theological nuance and clarification that he was expecting. Because Jesus took Nicodemus on a wild, mind-blowing, cosmic trip, peeling back the fabric of a whole new reality, zooming out from such a height and with so wide a lens that Nicodemus wasn't even sure what he was looking at. Anymore. Jesus described to him a new birth of water and spirit, primordial divine forces of creation, remaking, rebirthing, new life for those who would enter the realm of God. Nicodemus pauses for a moment. Okay, you've already lost me. Jesus scoffed. My assistant told me that we'd scheduled a session with one of the educated and smart and conscientious people. With this harsh assessment, Jesus carried on. Listen, Nicodemus, and listen well. The Son of Man is medicine. For this whole sick human race. Anti-venom for the poison of this wild world. And then in this famous bit of astonishing news, here's the way Sarah Rudin words it. This is the fact, how much God loved the world. He gave the only son born to him so that everyone who trusted in him wouldn't be annihilated, would have life for all time. The leader of his people doesn't say anything else. How does a person gracefully exit a conversation after being so thoroughly Undone. Did Nicodemus sit there in stunned silence until one of the fishermen finally came and got him? Hey there, bud, it's time to go home. Jesus left 20 minutes ago. The man who'd carried the questions of his people, the leader who had banked everything on his reputation and education, walked home in the dark with a fresh batch of questions, the first glimpses of new insights and a lifetime's worth of lessons. Nicodemus may not have understood everything he heard, but the answers that Jesus gave, they were for that same crowd. Those very same people that Nicodemus spoke for. Those predictable, 
stubborn, beautiful, heartbroken, weary souls. As Nicodemus trudged on, some of them on the night shift with brooms and buckets, taking down the decorations and washing up the excesses of the week, sweeping the streets after Passover celebrations. A whole city of people gathered in hope and celebration who just couldn't imagine a God such as this. People who would never have dreamt that this next incredible thing would include God's love for everyone. God loved the whole world. Including not just a handful of unruly folks gathered in hectic city streets or a whole city of Jerusalem, but the whole world. Even people who didn't like to think of themselves as part of that crowd. People who'd thought they'd already done a good bunch of the work needed to get themselves into God's good graces. Even you, Nicodemus. You've been a part of the messy crowd of the rest of us from the very beginning. What a gift to be counted as one among such a people. What a gift. Thanks be to God.